This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, I'm, my name's Jo Higgins and I, my title is the Young People's Web Content Manager at the South London Gallery where I'm actually based in the education department. So no legal background, no rights background, a bit of a let's work this out as we go along. Um, and I manage the recreative website. And I'm going to talk very briefly and in layman's <coughs> terms about how we've dealt with and deal with the practicalities of intellectual property rights, clearance issues, copyright, and contracts across the different parts of the site. Um, as you can see from the many logos, uh, the site is part of a wider collaborative project called the Louis Vuitton Young Arts Project. And the LVYAP, as we call it, is a, a three-year arts and education initiative that launched in May 2010. And it's led by the SLG in partnership with Tate, the Whitechapel, the Hayward and the Royal Academy. And the project more generally brings together the young people's forums from these different galleries on a regular basis in a variety of peer-led, social, educational and cultural contexts. And recreativeuk.com is one of the bigger outcomes of the project, which is still ongoing. And it was actually designed and devised by a group of 12 Young Arts Project members over 12 months in collaboration with designers and web developers and the partner galleries. And it launched in June last year, and it's an open online community and resource for 16 to 25-year-olds interested in contemporary art. And it was inspired by a desire to access information and explore processes behind the scenes in the art world. And it was also designed, crucially, to be a platform for these young artists to share and showcase their own work. So effectively, there are two distinct types of content on the site that we deal with. Uh, there's the community-generated art blogs, and then there's the commissioned content that we create and commission in the form of short films, audio, picture galleries, um, etc. Et I think it would be fair to say when we started, before we launched, that we knew not a lot about rights and contracts and permissions. We just knew that we needed to know something about it. And we didn't have the luxury of a soft launch. Uh, we had a very public launch, actually, in a shipping container in Covent Garden. So there wasn't really time to sort of perfect our approach and our, our system for dealing with a lot of these issues. We just had to leap in, I guess, and hope that we covered all our bases in the first instance and then implement some structures and processes after the fact uh, going forward. A lot of our early pre-launch concern was around this user-generated content and the potential intellectual property issues that might come up. And we developed a set of terms and conditions that every user who signs up to the site has to agree to before they can add their own work, comment on the work that's on the site. And a lot of this was drafted by the gallery's lawyers and a lot of the language around the intellectual property particularly was quite intimidating and very lawyerish. Um, and so one of the things we did was to really rewrite this for our audience, 16 to 25, it, you know, it needed to be really accessible. Um, and even though it sounds really obvious, we added in sort of a, quite a simple explanation about what intellectual property is and, and what it means. Whether or not anybody actually reads through this huge slab of text before they agree, uh, I don't know, but it's there and it's something that we can refer people to if and when issues come up. Having said all of that, um, I'm not sure what we were really expecting to date in terms of the young people and the content, 
but we've not really had any major issues with the community generated content to date. Um, we're not thinking that's always going to be the case, but it's something that we're mindful of and every piece of content that's added to the site, I and my colleagues will check, we'll look at it, we'll, you know, it, nothing goes, everything's post-moderated, but everything gets, added, it gets looked at, whether it's a comment, an image, a video, so it goes through, past somebody's eyes before it's, it's left to be on the site. Um, the other part of the major part of the site is the content that we commission and create each month, which is predominantly short films. And I thought I'd show you one of the very short films that we made at the beginning, which was part of the content for the launch. And I'll tell you a bit about it afterwards, but watching it now, it's a bit of a, a spot, spot the rights issues, shall we say. So um, if I could play the film, please, that would be great. Hi, my name's Elise, I'm an art student. I love visiting galleries and exhibitions, and I'm here at the Tate today to see what goes on behind the scenes. So could you please tell us a bit about yourself? My name's Mikey Hall, I'm an art handling uh, senior technician. My job involves working on the technical side of installations, exhibitions, and special projects as well as uh, working with the collection. What challenges do you face on a daily basis? Being able to work within a deadline, on, on budget, being able to produce high standards in displays, logistics as well. A good example of uh, the kind of challenges I have to take on as a daily basis is moving the Chatterton by Henry Wallace. We had worked out that that needed to be done out of hours, that means before public uh, are allowed into the building, simply for um, issues of uh, circulation and health and safety really but also we realized that we needed to move other works in, in the same time period what would normally happen is the afternoon beforehand I'll sit down and work out how feasible this is what the sequence needs to be who needs to do what etc etc and kind of work out in my head is it is it doable do we have to change anything do we have to move anything do you deal directly with the artists we do work very closely with the artists and the idea is that we try and give them the opportunity to produce their best work in the environment that is Tate. What types of things do you have to consider when working with an artist? A good example of that is Mike Nelson's Coral Reef. We recently acquired this work and I had to kind of document how the work would be installed in the future. I had to work directly with the artist, plastering, uh, laying floors. We kind of worked out that the best way to learn about how this installation was to be, to be put together, was to actually be part of it, to physically understand how it all goes together because of its complexity and its nature. What do you think the misconceptions are about art handling? I think people sometimes see people moving objects around and think that, you know, it's pretty straightforward. They don't realise like, the thought process that goes behind it. So we're getting people in the industry that have more skills and more talent and bring more to bear, you know, whereas some people would have gone into a particular profession. They're looking at art handling because, like, you know, if you've got a technical brain and you love problem solving and you love challenges, I mean, for instance, um, I never thought I would be installing works made of Vaseline and tapioca and elephant dung and putting animals into formaldehyde um, chocolate. 
Can you tell us a bit about the logistics behind work number 850 by Martin Creed? That particular project was a Devine commission, which is a one-off project where we commissioned an artist to make something unique and original for the space. When the artist came up with the concept of 850, you needed to do a certain amount of feasibility. You have to factor in the fact that it's a working building and what will be the effect of people running full tilt. What advice would you give someone who wants to become an art handler? Think about your favourite gallery that you've, you've ever visited and just ask them you know, if they've got a website or if there's someone they can talk to. That's great, thank you very much. So this was a film that sat on the expert section of the site where every month we will look at a different job, a different role, a different way that you can work in the arts without necessarily being an artist. And we approached Mikey because he's at Tate, Tate's one of the partners on the site, and before we spoke to Mikey, before we interviewed him, we, we had a chat about his job, about some of the things that he does, and you know, what his job really entailed so we could get a sense of what we might then ask him, um, which was why there are questions in there about Mike Nelson and Martin Creed. Uh, these were two examples that he cited of the work, and we knew that there was existing footage of it um, from Tate, so we thought, great, this is fantastic. Um, we organised the interview with Tate's sort of online and press and marketing teams and we did it before gallery hours because we knew that we'd, otherwise we'd have to have signage up to get the general public aware and we didn't want to have to deal with those kind of clearance issues. Um, it was filmed in the Devine and the Claw Galleries because the Henry Wallace work that features is copyright free. So we knew that we could film that work as other sculptures. So this was all uh, sort of the most straightforward way of, of filming this uh, interview and we had somebody from Tate on hand to say make sure you don't film this work and make sure you... So things that we just had absolutely no idea about and uh, we assumed naively that because Tate had this footage of the Martin Creed and Mike Nelson's work that we could also use it with their permission uh, and Tate thought that we had the clearances from the artists and the galleries which we didn't. Uh, so we then had to go back and get those permissions uh, before Tate would sign off on our using it as per their copyright procedures. Um, and embarrassingly, when we tried this earlier, I realised that the captions on there, this is an earlier version of the film, and the captions would normally have image courtesy of, and they don't, so I've spotted that one. Um, so, <laughs> just out myself there. But, you know, so all of these things we sort of found out through, I guess what you could call accidental due diligence, a week before the launch. So. We had a mad administrative scramble trying to get everything signed off. And one of the things that also we didn't realise at the time, but you know, we work with external freelance filmmakers that the music in the film is royalty free and they had taken care of that, but we had to take care of the fact that they were taking care of that. Uh, we needed release forms for Mikey and our young interviewer Elise to sign. We needed an agreement, location agreement for Tate to sign saying they were happy for us to film it. So we sort of had all of these mad things that we knew that we needed to do and we had existing templates that we'd inherited from the South London Galleries sort of procedures but didn't have anything recreative specific at the time. So that was something that once we got through the madness of the launch and getting it up there, we then retrospectively went back and, and made sure that we had that. Um, so in a nutshell, that's sort of what we go through now with every film, just in a slightly more organised, uh, preemptive fashion. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, of what we've learned from, from the launch, from the last 12 months, 
And what we're still, you know, getting to grips with, I think, I mean, my job involves commissioning these films, getting the clearances. I also moderate the content. I also work with the young artists. I also uh, manage the social media. It, it's, it's a one-man band with a bit of help from, an, from a colleague. So it's, it's an interesting lesson in multitasking. But what I've learned personally is that it's really important to be sort of systematic and I think to know what you need clearances for before the day, if and wherever possible, and anticipate things that you don't know that you might need. And on a really practical level, bring all the forms with you on the day. Otherwise, you'll be chasing people for weeks and or months trying to get signatures from them. Um, we have three types of agreements that we sort of work from as a template. Um, a basic release form for any people that feature in it, an artistic license agreement, and a location agreement. And we tailor these to each situation. And all of those um, agreements have a clause in them saying that we maintain the right to use those films. If we want to re-edit them, do things with them later, then we have the right to do that. Um, and we also do a, a basic check with DAX, obviously, um, for any artists that we're interviewing to check the, whether or not they're registered with them and if they are managing the sort of annual renewal fees um, and staying on top of that. And I think really, I mean, it sounds obvious again, but really do your research and think about, about what you're wanting the film to do. I mean, great films are obviously really visually interesting, which means images and good cutaway footage. And tailor your content to maximise what's available. We recently interviewed the artist Alex Hartley for an upcoming film about his project for the Cultural Olympics, um, his project Nowhere Island. And we have this fantastic footage that he's given us permission to use of him towing this island from the Arctic. But he then goes on to talk about works by Robert Smithson and Gordon Matter-Clark, which have along the way informed his practice. And trying to get images from the estates of dead American artists is really, really difficult. Um, I would say now, having spent three weeks on it, it's impossible, which is a great shame, but it's just one of those things that unfortunately happens. And I think really kind of the key thing that I've, I've learned in the way that I approach all of the rights issues and the copyright, you know, the way that kind of keeps me sane, I guess, is to sort of, to approach these communications and discussions as a way to build a network and to build awareness and, and credibility, really, for the site and to, to build a community outside of this young arts community. And, I mean, Recreative is now a year old and those relationships for us are really invaluable, both in terms of creating interesting content but also in terms of a wider support. So. Yeah, thank you very much. There you go. Thank you very much, Joe. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England.